Coming up, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos on the challenges of education in a pandemic. Welcome to another Real American Heroes Special Edition. I'm Oliver North. Our guest today, a great friend, Betsy DeVos, Secretary of the Department of Education. Secretary DeVos serves as the 11th Secretary of Education for the United States of America. Prior to being confirmed, she served as chairman of the WinQuest Group. Secretary DeVos also served on the boards of numerous national and local education, charitable, and civic organizations. She's the daughter of a public school teacher. She and I have that much in common. Secretary DeVos has been married to her husband, Dick, for 40 years, and together they have four children, just like the Norths do, and only eight grandchildren compared <laughs> to our 18. Secretary DeVos, thank you for taking time to join us today. It's great to be with you, Ollie. So, I, look, at, we have 18 grandkids. They range in age from college sophomore down to preschool. But all of them are waiting to get out of the house. And, we, you know, out the farm, my, Betsy, Betsy, my Betsy's farm, you know, we've got a kitchen table about the same size as the one I'm at. And there's been times when we've had nine of the 18 around the kitchen table with computers. And that means granddad can't get on his computer because all the bandwidth is being eaten. When are, our, when are my kids, grandkids going to be able to go to college, go to high school, get educated K through 12? Well, it's a it's a great question and a very important issue for every uh, education leader to be dealing with, uh, because we know the best place for kids come this fall is to be in school, in their classrooms, with teachers, with their with their peers, and uh, continuing to learn. And we have seen a, a very uneven application this spring when everything was shut down uh, of distance learning. And we know that for many kids, that hasn't really worked at all. And the quality that many of them experienced was very lacking. Uh, so I, I think what all of this points to as we look at another academic year is the imperative that kids get back to learning. And that's best accomplished for most kids in a classroom setting. Well, unfortunately, we, there don't appear to be a lot of options, at least here in Virginia, and where, where we are, our kids. Uh, I look at some of the things that are being done. Governor Hogan next door in, in Maryland, uh, when his Secretary of Health, or whatever his title was, said no schools are going to be opening before 1 October, he went back and said, wait a second, if those kids have another opportunity, charter school, religious school, parochial school, private school, and they want to open, they can do so. Shouldn't that be the national policy? Well, I think it should be. I think uh, the fact that we have many families, many parents uh, concerned with the options they're being provided that really aren't options or choices, it really does point to the fact that uh, parents and families need to be empowered with making those choices that are right for each of their children and right for each of their circumstances. And we have seen uh, the, the, uh, the stasis of the K-12 education system that has continued to function essentially the same for over a hundred years. It's, uh, it's coming to light ever more keenly now that uh, we, we've got to have, be more flexible, more nimble, and empower families and empower students to find their right fit and their right way forward. Can you tell the folks who are watching and listening to this podcast about your recent visits with Vice President Pence, 
to schools that have reopened? How'd they do it? Well, we've had some terrific visits, uh, both to some higher ed institutions in Louisiana and in South Carolina, and then also with uh, some uh, a K-12 school in North Carolina. And um, it's been very heartening to hear from those education leaders, their commitment to putting students at the center of everything and making sure that they are uh, addressing the needs of students uh, while at the same time respecting the, the, uh, their colleagues with whom they're working and making sure that everybody has the opportunity to uh, enter a new school year with the right kinds of safety considerations and uh, the right kinds of combinations for everyone involved. Uh, the Thales Academy in North Carolina has done a terrific job of addressing these needs. It was so fun to visit a fourth grade class. And when I asked the students there, what was the best thing about coming back to school? They all said being able to be with my friends and um, to a person, it was being able to be together with my friends again. And uh, we know that that is so important, particularly for younger children to have the opportunity to, for their own uh, social and emotional growth and health and well-being, uh, to be together with other kids. Um, we're not meant to be alone. And uh, that has, uh, I think, been even been more keenly realized today than ever before. It doesn't matter, I don't think, whether it's K through 12 or post high school education, but we're hearing, I'm sure you hear a lot more of this than I do, but we're hearing from others that well, we want to get our money back. In other words, what they're saying is my tax money is still going to Fairfax County, Virginia, to support right. that place of those places of education, not just pu not just public schools, but private schools as well. Strikes me that something needs to be done to make sure that, well, I'll be very frank about it, that the unions cannot force them to stay closed, or the kids ought to well, have some other option. No, absolutely. And I think um, more and more families are asking the question about, you know, all of the investment that we're collectively making in education. And it's a promise, a promise to fulfill that investment um, for for the kids or for the students, no matter what the age. And if uh, if the schools are not going to respond to and provide um, what the students need, then students and their families should be able to take those resources to a place that's going to work for them, a place in the environment that's going to work for them. And we're hearing a lot more about families that are considering uh, getting together with other several other families and doing a small, basically a micro school or a enhanced homeschool. Well, these are all very viable options that families should be empowered to make those decisions and choices and have the resources to help support them. Clearly the president supports what you're saying, but does he really have a role? I mean, look, we pay county taxes, we pay state taxes, and the schools are run by the governors and by the county supervisors and the boards of education. Is there some role for the federal government in this? Well, the federal government's role is really to um, make sure that uh, the federal laws related to education are followed. Um, but the, you know, there is no national superintendent. There's no one size fits all approach to how schools should begin to operate again. But certainly there's the bully pulpit. And 
the president has been very clear in uh, urging and encouraging education leaders to do the right thing for their students and to figure out ways that they're going to serve those students, uh, starting with uh, a full-time option for students to be in school in the classroom. And where there is a, an outbreak of, uh, of the COVID virus, uh, then you can, you can take the, media, you know, the, the um, remedies to address it. But that should, be, that should be the exception, not the rule. The rule should be, we're going back to school, we're starting uh, a, another academic year, and uh, we're going to serve our students well. And for those, those uh, places that refuse to do that, uh, families have got to have choices, and it really does speak to the necessity to dramatically expand school choice, education choice, education freedom, and more and more families are realizing this every day. You know, I've, I've heard you speak about this issue, and that is the importance of civics and history in this new era of, I guess, the cancel culture and iconoclasm. I, I, I look at that and I say to myself, particularly given some of the nature of, they're not protests, these are civil disorder, that there's a great threat out there that kids don't understand what the various divisions of responsibility are. That's frightening to the future for me. Well, it really is. And, um, you know, by the same token, the, the reflexive reaction might be, well, we should implement a national uh, civics uh, curriculum that everybody has to um, adhere to. But we know that if that was attempted, it would really um, ultimately backfire and would not uh, serve to um, really ad advance uh, nationwide wide knowledge and understanding of our history. This is really an important um, issue for states and I would argue local communities to grapple with. And I think that uh, a lot of states are taking this much more seriously. I know that a number of them have implemented uh, a graduation requirement that some of the student, you know, the students have to, um, for example, be able to pass the exam that uh, new immigrants soon to become citizens need to take. And I, I think these are important considerations and, and uh, things that states and communities should be considering. The, the lack of knowledge of history and civics is really concerning. And I think more and more people are paying attention to that today and realizing that we have probably been very uh, lax in ensuring that students understand our nation's founding and our historical roots. And there is a, a much more focused attention being paid today. You know, I, I, as an historian, I look at the current events and, and this, this broadcast that we're involved in right now is a contemporary history of what transpired because there's no one alive today who's ever been through all of what you and government and the American citizens are going through right now with a pandemic, disorder, civil disorder, the kinds of arson and vandalism that we're seeing. And so challenging uh, the future with the current events I, came, I like to ask the question, 50 years from now, when my great-grandkids are studying about this extraordinary time in history, what do you want them to know about what my friend, Secretary of Education DeVos, did about it? 
Well, I hope that they will know there was someone uh, in their past who fought very hard for them as individual students to find their right education fit so that they could develop and become everything that they are individually meant to be. And that collectively we have uh, a, a, an informed uh, citizenry that knows and understands what was sacrificed um, historically for them to be able to live in freedom and, um, and, and be able to focus on uh, their futures with that knowledge and that understanding of their past. No one could have said it better. Thank you, Secretary DeVos, for making time to be with us, providing our fellow Americans with ideas they can use in challenging times. Well, thanks for the opportunity to be with you, Ali. It's great to see you. God bless you, my dear. If this Real American Heroes special broadcast has been informative, helpful, encouraging, take time now to let me know how these unprecedented events have affected you and yours. By doing so, you too can be part of this historical record of how America persevered and once again prospered. Until next time, remember, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life.